0: This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone
1: Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome on back. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. We just uh, got into a, not a debate during the break, but I had no idea there were multiple ways that you could spell Uton. Apparently, President Trump tweeted about uh, some federal money going to uh, uh, fund a bus line in Ogden. Uh, He sent it out about 45 minutes ago, but he spelled it U-T-A-H-A-N-S. Yeah. And you told, I'm more familiar with the H-N-S spelling of it, but you said both are correct?
2: Well, I've I've heard technically that it's uh, H-A-N works, but uh, the way everybody around here does it is just with the N.
1: Well, it isn't uh, we need to get your editor on. Where's Joe? Joe should know these things, right? Uh, newspaper editors, don't they know the, these I rules the by style, heart?
2: The style is U-T-A-H-N, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Okay. All right. I just know with newspapers, they take these sort of things uh, seriously. So if well, anybody would know, it's, you would.
2: It's just a style point. It's not necessarily what's absolutely uh, by the English language writer incorrect. All
1: right. I got you. We're going to talk to uh, David Locke coming up here momentarily. Uh, we'll talk to him about the interview uh, he had back in '95 with Jerry Sloan. He uh, released that interview. Uh, I, uh, I gave him a, a retweet, and uh, we'll talk to him about his thoughts about Jerry. And then, of course, the, the latest NBA news and the progress toward uh, toward returning. So uh, quite eager to talk to uh, Locke about that. And I wonder, you know, Gordon, I think about Locke and Bowler and these solutions and whether or not they'll be you think uh, they'll be off to the bubble as well? I don't know how they're going to work that with local broadcasts.
2: Yeah, and I I don't know the answer to that. Maybe David has gotten some whiff of the way it'll work uh, affecting him the way it would, but we'll find out.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, I I hope they maintain uh, the local broadcasts as much as they possibly can. In the in normal world, obviously there's a local radio broadcast for every game, but Local TV broadcasts go through the first round, right, and then it's all national from there on out. If I'm uh, if I'm remembering correctly, so I think I, you are. So I wonder how they'll how they'll do that. Are we going to get like a a national feed uh, on TV that just airs on a regional network? But the di- difficulty there is how do you get in the correct sponsor reads and and those sorts of things, you know? So. A lot of challenges on the broadcast, and
2: and and do you, do the various uh, broadcasters do it off the television, off the screen, or do they are they are they going to be on site?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's get out of the sprint special guest line sprint they make it safe and easy to get what you need online visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability his interview is brought to you every week by our friends at murdoch hyundai he's the radio voice of the utah jazz he is uh, is david Locke. hi david hello guys how are you Hey, we are doing great, and we have uh, a bunch to talk to you about today. But since Gordon and I were just chatting about this, uh, uh, we'll start here. Have you heard uh, anything as we get little reports about what uh, these NBA plans could include? Have you heard anything about the the broadcast and plans there? Are you are you headed to Disneyland, David, or Disney World, I guess, David? Um,
0: I have not heard anything. Um, I've talked to people around the league, but I have not heard anything official. Um, and since I think they're restricting the amount of medical personnel and coaches that are going, I would guess that they would restrict local broadcasters as well. Hmm. There'd be an
2: opportunity for you to view what's going on on the screen and, and have you
0: call the game off of that? You know, I really don't know. Um, uh-huh. I really, I don't know. And I don't know how we're going to do it. And, um, I've kind of started to brain i don't started to brainstorm ideas um, I actually have kind of organized a group of fellow announcers that we're all talking about it and trying to get creative and do you do it the same you know I don't know you know there's a, multiple scenarios and then how long is it going to last and so do you do it differently do you do it the same interesting. i don't know i don't I don't have answers yet.
1: Now, a lot of my reasons for having this opinion are are selfish, but I I do hope they prioritize the local radio broadcast. I I think uh, you and your fellow announcers bring a lot to the game and a lot of fans enjoy it. I hope they make that uh, a priority. And plus, we have a lot of great sponsors. That would be the first
0: time, so that would be nice. (laughs) I I think
2: that's what he just said, David, is really true. I think people... You become part of the franchise you become the the mouthpiece of when people are listening working at night and listening on the radio your voice your uh, the, your prism through which the game is shown to or spoken to them is important to them they they get attached to you
0: it was funny. I was doing a live show today for Locked on Jazz and someone asked me what I missed and I like just was like I was like everything." I miss everything. I miss all of it. I miss I miss the fear of failure. I miss the fear of screwing up. I miss the connection with fans. I miss relaying the information. I miss it all. So you know, um, that's nice of you to say. I, I I cherish the opportunities I've had to to have that connection and be a part of fans' lives and to take them on the journey. And I'm thankful for the access and. Um, things we get along the way to be able to tell that story well, and I hope that people respect what that access is so that we can continue to have it, and I hope that we are still able to tell as good a story. You
2: don't miss getting hit in the head with the t-shirt cannon, though, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm willing to... I, I'm willing to get hit in the head with a t-shirt can a few times if I need to, to, to be able to tell
1: the story. David Locke is uh, with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, I I love the speed in which you discovered your interview with Coach Sloan from 1995, got it uh, transformed into a, a digital medium, and got it out there. I saw you posted it yesterday and uh, threw a retweet on there. I admittedly haven't had uh, uh, the time to, to give it all a listen, but tell me, going back and listening to that, what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about Coach Sloan?
0: That I was deep and terrible.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. It's, no, I'm sure you were
0: great. So bad. Like the questions are fine and Sloan's answers are great but the broadcaster voice because I want to sound like I'm Bob Costas instead of talking like a normal person. <laughs> I actually remember Do you guys remember Fisher and Todd? Gordon, yes. Do you remember Fisher and Todd? Yes. Yes, I do. Scott Fisher changed my career. Like, you always need these people, right? I hope someone... I like hope that Fisher, Scott Fisher here, someone tells him about this. So if Scott Fisher was at... We were at Kiss in 90s. We were at Sports Radio 5. Because one-on-one with Sports Radio 5. Oh, my God. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. Um. Anyway, I cannot believe I aired it. Um, but Scott Fisher was the morning show host at 570 FM, or so probably 971 FM, and we were on 570 at the time, and we were in the studio next door, and he used to always come over to me and say, David, take one ear off your headphones. Make sure you can hear yourself and sound like your normal self. Take one ear off. He'd always tell me to take one ear off my headphones when I was broadcasting, so And what's interesting is I actually have an interview from 90. So that was 95. I was 24 in that interview I put up on Locked on Jazz. I have another one I'm going to put up tomorrow, which is from 97. Interestingly, I saved two interviews in my entire career. They're both with Jerry. So that tells you how much those meant to me. Um, I By 26, I'm talking normally. So someone got to me. And I think it was Scott Fisher who changed it. But, oh, my gosh, I was terrible. I have I sa- – I've only really saved, like, six things. I saved a Salt Lake Golden Eagles hockey game, I called. I saved the Salt Lake Bees game. I saved Kobe's last game. I saved my last game of the Sonics announcer because I kind of knew it was my last game. And I saved two Jerry interviews. And I saved my last show in Salt Lake before I moved to Seattle. So, Dave, David, what's,
2: uh, what's your reflection uh, upon Jerry? We didn't really get a chance to talk with you about this. I know you were on a lot of the other shows, but uh, what are your thoughts there?
0: I mean, I think Jerry, and even in inter- that interview, it's 95, right? So he hasn't been to a finals yet, right? The, the kind of complete picture of all, you know, of, of everyone of Jerry, by the end, is hey, he's taken his team to finals. He's gotten over the hurdles. He's proven what he needed to prove. He's ready to get the coach of the year. He becomes a hall of famer. Um, and in that interview, he is true. He is the exact same person that he was. You know that he said to be in everything. I and mean, this this was someone who truly. Was, there's people who are consistent to their brand, but their brand is fabricated. This guy was consistent to who he is and was in his life every minute along the way. And I think that's, that's the signature to Jerry. Um, gosh, he was kind to do that interview with me. Mean, he, I was such a pain in his ass and he, for him to sit down and do that interview tells you a lot also that like he was willing to do that and take that time. Um, and obviously on the long, by the end we became whatever we, I don't know if we were friends, but we became, um, we, know we were connected and we got along great and we spent a lot of time together and we did those Legends lunches every t- first Tuesday of every month for a few years there that were really neat to see by the end. So, um, But was, boy, in 1995, there was no reason for him to sit down with me. He was probably not a fan. Um, and so um, that tells you, I think, a lot about him as well, though, is that he had a respect for everybody around him and what they were doing.
1: You know, David, I, I one thing I thought that was great, uh, especially over the weekend, is seeing just how many people and, and high-profile uh, people in the world of the NBA uh, appreciated those very same things about Jerry. You could tell he had a, a great impact on the game, and uh, a lot of people vo- voiced uh, that in many wonderful ways. Yeah, and I,
0: you know, I think there's a feeling that there won't be another one, but maybe pop is actually another one. Um, he does it in his own way and has his brand that he's built. Um, whatever you think of it, it's a little different than Jerry's. Um, but he's probably going to have some similar, um, NBA, but then, then that could be, you know, then that might be it. Like, there's that kind of run and that length. And, you know, I mean, there was some interesting aspects of Jerry. Jerry was not, like, the modern-day player who needs someone to talk to him all the time. Jerry didn't believe in talking to his players very much. He thought they'd he'd wear him out. Like, that was one of the things he thought was the key to his longevity, is if I don't communicate, I don't bother them, I don't talk to them very much, like, then, then I'm not bothering them. And... um you know, like, he'd always get asked, like, when he benched someone, well, did you talk to him? Why would I talk to him? Like, his job is to show him play tomorrow. I always thought that was like, whoa, really? But that's, you know, when I suddenly saw him work as the play by the play announcer, that was very much the approach. Like, if I have to talk to one of these guys every single time I make a decision, then i got to talk to him every time. And then what I think are decisions, you know, it just goes down this interesting road. It's very different than the way you coach players today. But it- so it's, a- it's an interesting contrast.
2: So, David, uh, we we talked about the, uh, the upcoming restart of the season. Uh, I'm curious to know Where are you,
0: what are you, do you want? Do you want what do you want? Do you want 16 teams just straight into playoffs?
2: Yeah, that's want, what I was. That's what I was going you, to ask you. That's I want to know what, I, what you want. All 40. I would go straight to the postseason. And I know that there are those who say uh, they'll be rusty and all that. I say put them to a training camp, get them ready to go, and go straight into it. Because I think there are teams that – even teams, if they do the playoff plus, David, uh, you would have uh, a, a number of teams would be trying to qualify maybe for that eighth spot in the West – But once a team loses a game or so, then what's going to happen after that? I I think it just could get messy. I would prefer seeing teams that are motivated to compete at the highest level they can.
0: So there are three factors, maybe four factors that are going on here. The Overriding one is safety, right? And I actually don't even think we know what that is. The second one is uh, basketball fairness. The next one is revenue. And then the third one is quality of basketball. And what I find so difficult right now is if you were to put those as circles, they don't all intersect. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're saying that the safest thing to do is just have 16 teams. Okay, probably true, but I'd like some really definitive answer on like what the difference between 16 and 20 is. I don't think I've gotten that. I feel like that's really untalked about. Um, and, like, the, ba- the best basketball sense is to go play 10 or 12 games and let everyone be at their peak so that we can have the best playoffs. Well, that's, that's going to be difficult to get done. The best revenue thing is to get a bunch of early game, get some more games in for the regional sports networks before the playoffs. Well, that's going to be hard to get done with comments like what Dame had to say. So it's a really fascinating game that's being played right now because the the – the circles that we're discussing don't intersect in an easy manner. And someone's going to have to just decide which is the most important item of all. And then safety is, is probably the most important, but even there I would quibble with that because you know what the safest thing is? Not playing. And we're not doing that. We're playing. So like we've already taken the risk. The risk is going to be take place because we're going to go and play. That's risky. By definition. How big a risk? I don't really know. Like what do we defi- you know, what defines risk? But I and then I don't really have a clear vision of whether actually adding four teams exponentially changes the risk of what's going on. Or does adding in and are we really just adding four or once we add four do we have to really add eight and go to twenty four? Like I don't but I I think what's so complicated here is the best basketball is not the best revenue which is not the be- fairest like they don't they're not together like if you go to this world cup thing and you're the lakers and you're the box i'm pissed and frankly if we go straight to the playoffs and the lakers are the box i'm not that happy because i'd like to be able to get my you know like what happens if we're rusty and we suddenly get knocked out right away but at least our regular season couch or something in the world cup format like our regular season doesn't even really count for anything
2: do you like the mixing of the two conferences and seeding one through 16?
0: So my viewpoint on this is I think we should try everything right now. Um, so I would actually probably be pro 20 or 24 and do the World Cup and see how it works. See whether it's worth anything. Or I would be pro the 16 and seed it, um, it. you know, other than the fact we have to play the Rockets again. Are you kidding me? Um Like I would do it that way. I I would change it up. I would try new things. I would see how it heals. I would, I would do things, um, just because you can right now and, and it's a unique circumstance. I think the chances of getting any of them approved is zero. I think, I think, I think that unless the TV revenue. To get the regional sports network some more TV deals is such a huge factor for the well-being in the league. And let's not forget, it's a business. Um, I think we're going to end up with 16 teams and straight to the playoffs, like you said, Gordon. Because I just think everything else will be too hard to get approved.
1: There might be uh, a lot of things, I guess, uh, that you could answer this question with, David. But uh, what is the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you, what do you think is keeping Adam Silver up at night? What big issue? What's the biggest dip issue facing the NBA right now when its comeback?
0: That you get a massive outbreak and you have to stop. Hmm. But let me give us. Let me, I want to be on the record on this before, in case it happens, so it doesn't sound like I'm being a Paulian on the backside. I don't I don't think that, that – that is the worst-case scenario. Financially, I guess it's a PR black eye. I don't see it as a PR black eye. I, mean, I guess a player dying is the worst-case scenario. Um, that seems unlikely at this point from what we know. Um, but l- let me say this. If the league goes to Orlando and they go in the bubble and there's a massive outbreak and there's – which, again, from what we know, doesn't seem likely. Um, and there's 52 cases, and eight of them are on one team, and so you got to stop because one team suddenly is ineligible and you can't just move on with the playoffs, right? We're done. The league will get annihilated for it, and I will not do that because the fact is you learn something. It's we're at a stage, we're going to play right now, is reasonable. Like, that's where we are. Like, it's time to go try this. And if it doesn't work, then we learned that the virus is more contagious in these kind of settings than we thought, and you better figure out what you're doing in December. And we learned something. The NHL has an outbreak, which I think is even less likely because it's, they got masks and, you know, they're wearing gear and things like that. Same thing. Like, I just think we've got to... Like I keep hearing saying, oh, that's the doomsday scenario. Like, financially, it is. But if we try things in this new world that we have and they go wrong, I think we've got to be forgiving. It's a new world. We've never been here before. We don't know what things are. No one can be negligent. People don't have the information or the data and, frankly, are the guinea pigs in this process. And so I just don't like the mentality that I'm hearing out there i uh, like, it's got to be perfect. But no, it can't be perfect. We don't know. This seems like three months old. We don't have any data. We don't have any understanding. We don't have any knowledge. We think we're, we're working on studies that are so small in their sample size because it's so young and they're doing the best they can. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. It's crappy, but that's the world we live in right now. It's the same way that if one of these colleges brings their students back and doesn't do something and does the best they can and they get an outbreak at the school, like, let's not kill them. Like, we tried, and that's where we are. We're learning every day.
2: All right, David, I have just uh, hired you uh, because I'm emperor for the day, and I'm putting you on the jazz coach's bench. How do you account in a postseason setting for the loss of Boyan Bogdanovich?
0: Um, I think well, you're going to Royce O'Neill and, and uh, George Niang are going to get those minutes. I might start George Niang, unlike what everybody else is doing, because if you actually dig into what the Jazz did with Boyan Bogdanovich, is they mirrored. Boyan Bogdanovich's minutes to Rudy Gobert's minutes. Like, I don't have it in front of me because, sorry, I'm sitting outside on this gorgeous day. But if you go look, Boyan Bogdanovich played, like, no minutes without Rudy Gobert on the floor. Like, almost none. And I think you might do the same thing with George Niang. Because the minute George Niang's in the game, the other team just goes right at him every time and tries to abuse him defensively. Well, if Rudy's in the game, depending on the opponent, it's a lot harder to do. And that's what the Jazz did. They protected Boyan with um, with Rudy. And maybe that's the right answer to the same thing with George and have Royce play in some other smaller unit that plays with Tony Bradley or plays some of the time. But I might start George Niang so that I have those seven minutes, the first and third quarter, with Rudy on the floor. Um, and then bring in Royce. And if I'm playing, the Yang's probably playing, you know, 22 minutes now. The other reason why is I think shooting's going to be a premium. The, the the area where the players are going to struggle the most is shooting. And the way the Jabs are going to win is shooting. Mike Conley's going to become super important. Um, George Yang, if, if we can get all of our guys to to find a way to get catch-and-shoots and and early catch-and-shoots and and bomb the three and make them. We are the best shooting team in the league, and if we can hold to that shooting level, um, and we're largely the best shooting team because of Boyan, so that's a big loss, but if we can hold to that shooting level while everybody else is struggling a little bit with their shot and we've got Rudy defending, that's how they're going to be successful uh, in July. So I, I would actually... I would actually kind of mirror you know that's a subtle thing they did I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it but if you go look Boyan Bogdanovich played almost every minute with Rudy Gobert hmm.
1: David as always thank you for jumping on we really appreciate it alright good talking with you guys always
0: enjoy it I'm super uh, incredibly impressed by the work of your station um, and what you've done and held together during this pan without sports It's uh, I've listened to more than usual Uh the commitment to the community, the um, the creativity in the discussions, the quality of the discussions have been uh, world class. A uh, huge compliments to everybody at 1280
1: Zone. Thanks, buddy. That means uh, a lot.
2: Thanks, David. And by the way, when I heard that interview that you were doing with uh, with Jerry, that voice—how uh, you can be as critical as you want—but it brought back fond memories back when you were a young book. Oh uh, I was terrible,
0: but <laughs> I, still, I was twenty four so I guess if you 're going to be terrible be terrible terrible twenty four i 'm scared I have other tapes from like like i oh yeah i 've saved all my resume tapes too i i'm not i 'm having them converted i 'm not sure I could listen to them i'm i will certainly i 'm pretty certain my first resume tape if I listen to my uh, – uh, I'm going to reveal an awful lot about myself right here with this story. Sorry, I know we're late to break. but um, So in my desk drawer, I have every rejection letter I ever got. And it's like my motivator that keeps me going and, you know, working. And at 1 o'clock in the morning when you're working late on something, you open that drawer and it reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. I, I think if I were to listen to the resume tape, my first original resume tape that so I sent out that got all those rejection letters – it would ruin the whole value of that drawer, right? <laughs> like, as I feel, there's, a, there's an element to what I'm saying. Like, I look at that, like I got screwed. These people didn't believe in me. Like, if I listen to that first tape, you know what? I'm gonna be like, wow, I sucked. No wonder they didn't hire me. <laughs> don't do
2: it. Yeah, Just but
0: I don't know how. it.
2: I don't know how many 22-year-olds put themselves in a position uh, to uh, to have their own show on the radio. I mean, you must have had something going for you. I think you did.
0: Yeah, the industry had just started and there
1: were no other candidates. <laughs> <laughs> David, thank you, man. Uh, keep up the good work. See you, guys. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Uh, he I, did, I have He, no did, de- sound,
2: he hmm? did sound younger.
1: Oh, I have no desire to go listen to uh, 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 one of my first shows or, or one of my first uh, on-air stuff. Back, uh, uh, No desire to listen to that. I bet I was just awful. Uh, we would have told you if you were awful. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have no doubt about that.
2: <laughs> I don't remember you being awful. I appreciate that, Gordo.
1: All right, coming up next, we're going to do Drop of the Day, or also known as Sounds of Various Clips. <laughs> and uh, we're going to play one of our very favorites. Stay tuned for Where's Right Waters? It's The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 mm-hmm. The Zone.